This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome in to the Century Mark episode number 100 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. As Nick Maxson just said to me off air, am I supposed to be happy about that? <laughs> I don't think anybody is, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's, up to, it's up to you, Nick. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny, I think, at least, that uh, a week after essentially our two-year anniversary of the show, we are just hitting episode 100. Kind of a cool little look there. Um, we just surpassed 20,000 total audio downloads, too. I haven't even looked at the YouTube pieces, so 10,000 Those, 10, those poor year. people. Those yeah. poor people. What are all of you doing with your life? But nonetheless, you're here. <laughs> you're with us on Sunday here in the middle to late portions of February. We've got some stuff to talk about, as always, some women's hockey on the docket. They're preparing for the WCHA quarter quarterfinals men's hockey we'll get to uh, that. Yeah. uh um we'll talk some minnesota wild as well as well as some kind of nhl pieces uh related to some of the fallout uh related to maybe some like cba type things some luxury tax type things just kind of a general nhl discussion as to the state of the league the state of the union if you will as we move through and then our extra ice session we're going to talk about some olympic stuff specifically some women's hockey and talking about should women's hockey really be in the olympics Ooh, question marks. We'll get to that, obviously, and more as we move through episode 100. And like we have for so many episodes before, we will start with Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Well, Noah, you know, as we embark on this century mark journey, it's it's definitely been a journey we have probably would like to remember. Unfortunately, the Huskies had a weekend they kind of want to forget. Um, probably a lot of Huskies fans want to forget as well. Um, outscored 10 to 3 the in weekend against Omaha. Uh, Trable, Fitzgerald, and Hench is the only tally in marks there for the Huskies for the two games. Uh, you know, a couple of assists, uh, we could really go into it, but. I really don't want to, to be honest with you, yeah. because, you know, and we're going to deep dive into this later, but uh, SCSU did outshoot Omaha 33-21 Friday, and then we're outshot 30-29 to on Saturday, but still uh, got a power play goal, but gave up two PK tallies. So we're over two on the penalty kill on Friday. That really stung them um, trying to keep in the hockey game. Uh, so unfortunately, the Huskies falling to 15-11 and three overall, and also... 
probably more alarmingly, seven, nine, and three in conference play. Uh, with a very short rest with Duluth coming into town on Tuesday. That's the second makeup game for that previous series in January. And then we'll host uh, Colorado College uh, at home this uh, this weekend. Uh, to say that this isn't a big week for this club is an understatement. Yeah, you are more than correct on that. We'll get to that, obviously, in a moment. Uh, St. Cloud currently in the pairwise, sitting at 10th all alone by themselves after last night's performance. Uh, speaking of all by themselves, it is now regular season done, playoffs starting uh, for the women's hockey team. They had their final three regular season games on the docket this week, all against the Duluth Bulldogs. Uh, on Tuesday, it was a 2-1 to one shootout win off of a silky one-handed tuck from Courtney Hall in the shootout. I don't know if you got a chance to see that one, but boy, it was a really, really nice move uh, from her. Eddie Scribner was the lone goal scorer in that game with Emma Gentry and Taylor Lind tallying assists in that one and Gentry also scoring in the shootout. I believe it went to five rounds if my math serves me correct. So um, kind of a fun little hockey game there on Friday. The team was blank three to nothing in Duluth, but uh, Saturday was really the heartbreaker A four to three loss oh for this team. Courtney Hall, Olivia Savar, Taylor Lind scoring, but it was Duluth. Uh, who tied the game up with 55 seconds left in regulation, and they won with nine seconds left in regulation. That one stings as the ladies head into some playoff time. The gals finishing seventh place in the WCHA, uh, only ahead of St. Thomas. Um, they're going to finish the regular season at 9-21-3, and, and they're going to face Ohio State in the WCHA quarterfinals next week. So we'll keep an eye on that one. It is a best-of-three series for the Huskies. A very tough task against Ohio State. They do have all of their uh, big guns back. You need a new Lynn, uh Clara Himlerova, who had an assist on Saturday. They're back from the Olympics, obviously. So, um a lot of things, uh, you know, to look forward to, I think, on that Saturday game against Duluth. A lot of good things, but certainly a painful way to end the regular season. We'll have to see if they can find some magic in the playoffs. Yeah, and uh, we'll leave it at that. That's that Saturday loss. Yeah, uh, two and sixty seconds, uh, final minute. That's oof. I've been, I've been there. Oof, I've been, yeah. been there, and I actually remember not, not that anybody cares, but. Um, my freshman year, we come from a small class B school that plays in a class A system, right? So about, uh, about, I don't know, what, what would you say? About 125 people total in our high school playing schools, you know, with well over 2,000 people in, in their high school. And I do remember we lost the region by a single point uh, my freshman year. And it was actually because we the game winner against the only team that was ahead of us came with nine seconds, ironically enough, left in regulation the first time we matched up and it was the extra point that was the difference. So those ones can be really painful um, when you think you're in the driver's seat there. Actually ended up being, um, if I will throw North Dakota hockey some clout very quickly, though, it actually ended up being where there were five players from that group in the West region that ended up playing Division One hockey or higher. So uh, including a Hobie Baker um, finalist, uh, Alec Rawhauser from Bowling Green. So you know what? We don't have much hockey, but when I was there, it was okay. <laughs> so, it was okay. <laughs> Uh, speaking of okay, um, this is some okay news if you're into women's hockey. Um, this is something that we had talked about at nauseum in December. Uh, this happens to do with the rescheduling of the World Juniors and the Women's U18s yeah. uh, going for the summer. So actually some good news, right? Kind of uh, exciting, so I think. It, it Honestly. This, How cool it, is it to have the World Juniors in the summer? Like, There's been talk. there, And, you know, we can go with – we could – go on a tangent with this but there's been discussions of whether the world juniors in december makes the most sense yeah. and whether having it in the summertime 
would it better showcase um, the talent that's out there? I don't know. I don't have you know, the metrics there. They wouldn't really have much to compete with, especially if baseball doesn't get their shit together. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, not not good. So, but what is good? Yes. Uh, so, obviously, a lot of controversy with the the World Juniors, the women's canceled, and there really wasn't any contingency plan around it. Um, so, they'll play mid August. They'll be held in Alberta. So, which is great. Um, it'll be a completely new competition. They did play some round robin games so that it wasn't a complete scratch. Um, but uh, so any results that happen December, uh, unfortunately, will be null and void. Uh, so I guess clean slate. That's OK. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be allowed to select new rosters for the participating countries. Um, age requirements will still be the same as the original tournament, which is um, which is, if I may interject, kind of interesting because you do have some birthdays that maybe change. Some yeah. Things there, mm-hmm. so. And uh, and for Noah, for those who maybe don't understand, too, I believe you have to be. Was it under the age of 19 or is, yeah, you have to be 19 uh, in your birth year or under to participate? That's the age restriction. Am I correct on that? Yeah, or is I. It- I think it's it's you twenty technically. Yeah, yeah twenty. Or so has, or it's like you can turn twenty, but it can't be past a certain date. Essentially, right? It's yeah, like you have to be a certain similar to, um, like the NCA rules where like the age cutoff. It's like you can be that age, but you have to be below that age at the start of this particular like point, correct? Um, in the yeah. season, so I don't know if they'll carry over the age requirements related to december or if they'll be related to now summer now which you know won't be a huge change but there might be some bodies that you know might fit that bill so we'll have to definitely see sure uh and then on top of the u18 so world uh women's world championship this will go to sweden and this will take place uh the following january is what it sounds like so june june June. sorry Uh, it was supposed to be in sweden in january and now it's moving uh to june uh somewhere north of the usa so sweden's going to be the 2023 host got it so And that's it actually makes sense. I remember mm-hmm. that there was talk about it being in Sweden last month. That makes sense. Yep. So now going to June, um, north of the USA. So that's a very candid way of saying in Canada, but whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, it can't, can't get much more north around our yeah, influence. yeah, yeah. I, I, but I guess if you, keep, if you keep going further north, don't you then go south and maybe that's Russia? I don't know. Well, every um, it doesn't matter. Even if somebody's above you in the Midwest, they're always you know down there aren't they yeah that's true <laughs> um so sweden instead of taking on the tournament in 2022 they'll host it 2023 so they just got bumped back a year again as COVID continues to force reschedulings but nonetheless glad to see this actually happening uh right so um all of this coming off of the actually really good showing for the women's hockey in the Olympics too. Um, Canada obviously being the U.S. in the gold medal games, Finland and Russia faced off in the men's gold action. I believe correctly, Finland took the gold medal in that one as well. So, but uh, uh, for those, and we're, we're talking about this a little bit later too. But uh, women's hockey definitely belongs in the Olympics. I'll just put it that. <laughs> yeah, it. yeah, definitely. Um, you know. In other news, uh, let's talk about uh, our final topics here. Kind of a smorgasbord of stuff, so kind of some quick hits we'll try to run through here. Let's start uh, Hall of Famer Emile the Cat Francis, dying at age 95 here, Nick. Um, Emile was a goalie who became a hockey Hall of Fame coach and general manager of the New York Rangers. Um, New York made nine consecutive playoff appearances during his 10 years coaching. Uh, He had 342 wins in that time and holds the franchise record for regular season wins and games and playoff wins with 34 and games with 75. So um, 
we obviously wish his family nothing but the best. Kind of a cool little story if you get a chance to kind of look on the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's done a lot. Um, he's actually in the Hall of Fame category as a builder and has done a lot for youth hockey and growing the game beyond. He's a, he's a Saskatchewan native, um, so kind of a, a fun little story to, to read there. Um Moving over to some news we covered a little bit last week, uh, Andrew Hammond, who was traded from the Iowa Wild, uh, the newly acquired Montreal Canadian, he's going to make his first start in the National Hockey League since 2018 against the Islanders today. So best of luck to Andrew on that one. Chicago's Marc-Andre Fleury hopes to want to play at least one more season, moving into his age 38 year. Thought that was kind of interesting. And Vincent LeCavalier, uh, former Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup champion, joins Montreal's front office as a special advisor and obviously kind of tag teaming there with Marty Saint-Louis, former teammate as well down there in Lightning Land, now moving up to Montreal. Let's talk more about the Canadians. They had a trade this week as well, too, dealing forward Tyler Toffoli to Calgary in exchange for a 2022 first-round pick, a 2023 fifth-rounder, prospect Emil Heinemann and forward Tyler Pitlick. So that First rounder is top 10 protected. So if it doesn't convey, the Canadians will get a 2023 first rounder and a fourth round pick in the following draft in 2024. That's a lot of, a lot of years and a lot of numbers. And the only other one that uh, really kind of stood out for us, uh, Nick Ritchie moving from Toronto really did not pan out, unfortunately, no. uh, as a leaf, you know, was on the line with Austin Matthews, but just did not pan out for that group. He's got one more year on his contract. He's going to move uh, to Arizona where everybody goes to essentially die in hockey land uh, for Ryan Dezingle and Ely Labushkin, as well as a conditional pick. So that conditional pick that Toronto has moved, Arizona will have its choice of the Leafs third round pick in 2023 or their second rounder in 2025. That is such a long time. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> from, from, from now. But Nick, I want to get your opinion on this next one. Winnipeg claiming forward Adam Brooks off of waivers. This is the fourth time that the forward has been claimed this season. He's got 11 points in 29 NHL games. But how about this? The Leafs just claimed him on Wednesday off of waivers from the Vegas Golden Knights, who claimed him in November from the Montreal Canadiens, who claimed him the month before in October from guess Leafs. who? The Toronto the Maple Leafs. Uh, yeah, Winnipeg needs some help in size up front. Uh, should Adam Brooks get an apartment? Probably not. <laughs> no, I think he needs an extended stay room. <laughs> and just rag up the Marriott points or whatever chain that's with. Uh, that's, I mean, you talk about journeymen in the National Hockey League, right? And how some players just seem to bounce around and they can't seem to find a fit. Or more in this case, it's a bit of both, right? Where teams are looking for help. They're looking for help underneath a very difficult cap situation. And uh, unfortunately for a guy like Adam Brooks, who doesn't have the biggest salary, um, he makes it easier to, to get moved. And for teams, you know, again, the, it's, it's tempting to pick up because it's a little risk type move. Um, so you kind of feel for the player because, you know, you're bouncing around. You can't really find stability. Um, but hope that uh, he finds a home in Winnipeg, which they're trying to make a push for that uh, second wildcard spot there in the Western Conference. And uh, yikes, yeah, definitely, definitely don't sign a lease just yet, Adam. Just don't, just don't. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's tough. Uh, that's tough. Uh, speaking of signing news, we only have one on the docket right now. Nashville's 32-year-old defenseman Mark Borbietsky signed a one-year $900,000 deal. Um, actually, just got suspended uh, for a couple of games yes, a little bit did. prior. So. Um, mm -hmm. Good to see him ink pen on paper. I always thought he was a pretty steady, reliable defenseman. Has really kind of carved out a very unique and interesting career uh, in the National Hockey League. And in injury news, 
Only two on the docket for us. Ben Sherratt missing a couple of games. Hopefully should be returning to action soon for Montreal. Had a lower body ailment. And Edmonton forward Jesse Pooley-Yarby is going to miss at least a month with a lower body injury during really what was a campaign year for him. And welcome into episode number 100 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Myself, Noah Grant, alongside my co-host Nick Maxson, as it has been since the beginning of time, um, for whatever time that Nick Maxson has left. But um, <laughs> uh, Nick, I welcome you into the show. Um, well, that's good. Uh, yeah, happy to have you here. And uh, I think we should start off the show. We don't have anything special planned except for um caleb peabody was so nice to write us a two-line verse uh just for you nick so why don't we oh, jump, god <laughs> why don't we jump into it shall we uh a lot of roses in this one nick roses are red violets are blue if nick's nick still owes us fouls after 100 episodes this is so true roses are <laughs> red nick is really blue if he doesn't find his glasses soon he may miss the broadcast tonight too nick i noticed you're not <laughs> I noticed you're not wearing your glasses. It's, it's it's I haven't worn them in a while, so I don't know what the hell he's paying attention to. Um, are you are you paying attention? That's what all yeah. Huskies fans want to know. You know, there, there's these little these little inventions called contacts. <laughs> so I guess I am wearing glasses, but they're just not just the lens part, and there's no frame needed. So there you go. You know what? I'm just surprised you finally upgraded from the typewriter this week. That's a <laughs> it was a it was an investment. It was a jump into unfamiliar territory. Um, I just don't know what I'm going to do with all the whiteout. Yeah, you know, it was difficult. I mean, we were actually uh, when we first started the show, we actually had to splice our film reels and then we moved to VHS. So we've really pulled Nick <laughs> along as we <laughs> as we have moved into episode 100. But Nick, I mean, it's it's been an incredible journey. I think if we have, you know, a minute or two to kind of mention this, obviously, as we continue to roll through the end of the Husky seasons for both teams, respectively, and the Minnesota Wild, obviously their playoff push to the Stanley Cup as well. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy two years, man, uh, just yes. after our two years anniversary. And I think not only with COVID, but, uh, you know, obviously our show has changed so much. The landscape of hockey has changed so much. And, you know, you're out doing MNCAA as well, too, which is a very exciting thing. And, um, you know, for better or for worse, I feel like we made a mark on something. I, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I feel like <laughs> <laughs> something's there. <laughs> I, I think I've just become a target of Caleb's trolling on Twitter is really what it came down to. <laughs> that was about, uh, that was about a year ago, but yes. yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> um, you know, but, but to that point, Noah, you know, when we started this in, in the pandemic and we've talked about this a couple of times throughout the course of the, the show's history, you know, we, I think the original intention was, okay, we'll, we'll keep doing this kind of thing because we actually started it what, about a month before the actual pandemic started. It was early January, if not mid-January of 2020. Yeah. Um, we essentially kept going through the pandemic because we were like, well, it's good practice mm -hmm. for radio stuff and for everything else. And at the end of it, we didn't really think it was going to be that lengthy. And well, holy hell, here we are a year yeah. and a half later, two years later at this point, and COVID still very prominent. Um, we somehow were still very prominent. Um, so yeah. that's good. Um, but yeah, no, it, we, we just, it's been a very, very fun roller coaster ride. Um, yeah. to say it lightly. Um, we'll talk about the actual roller coaster here in just a little bit, but because <laughs> yeah. that's probably the best way to describe 
what's been happening in Huskies Nation uh, over the last probably 72 hours yeah. here. It's um, it, It's been weird, too, because obviously, like you said, you know, our first – our first couple of episodes, you know, I think our first episode came out like February 11th or 12th of 2020, um, which seems eons ago, I think, but we were, we were preparing for, you know, the future of women's hockey quite obviously, but then also men's hockey was kind of a dark horse candidate heading to Kalamazoo uh, Mm -hmm. in Michigan after a tough weekend up in Duluth there. And then everything kind of changed. It's very interesting to see, you know, then we had a national championship run, uh, in terms mm-hmm. of making it to the game. And now this year has been a, a unique challenge in and of itself. But I think it's kind of interesting. I was thinking back to, you know, when we first started and we really weren't gaining a whole lot of traction. In fact, our lowest show, and, it, and it's still this way to this day, our lowest show is actually episode number seven, um, which we actually talked about the passing of Colby Cave. I don't know if you remember that. That was yeah. a long time ago. Um, that one is still stuck, stuck at um, seven audio listens. <laughs> uh, so, oh yeah. And to put that in perspective, we just had one of our recent episodes actually record-breaking beat him caleb peabody and go huskies woo we actually had an episode that you and i just did that actually pushed over 800 audio listens the other day so pretty incredible to see how things have, have transitioned obviously very thankful and very excited for all of our listeners and those who you know catch us on the youtube channel as well too i know caleb's one of those guys that likes to actually sit and see our faces and check in to see if you are wearing your glasses or not nick so <laughs> Um, but let's see. Let's see if uh, the mental cognition is working here. We had a trivia question yesterday and it was very challenging for people. Um, I know it involved a little bit of work, but I, I, I didn't think it would take this long. But nonetheless, SESU Huskies was our winner. Um, underscore Huskies, I should say. Um, men's hockey has made the Division One NCAA tournament 15 times. They dropped a 10th now in the pairwise. Besides last year without the pairwise in which they, they technically finished 15th. What two seasons have the Huskies finished lowest in the pairwise and still made the NCAAs? And what was their ranking number in the pairwise? Don't expect you to get the years, but do you know the ranking number? 14? 13th. You're very close. Very close. The Huskies finished 13th twice. Twice. Wow. Twice. Um, <laughs> in 2002, <laughs> 2002 I'm going to keep talking because I know you want to jump all over that one. Uh, it's the first time with 16 schools that the Huskies um, were finishing 13th. And then uh, actually the year they went to the Frozen Four the first time, 2012-13, they had a very low finish. So the Huskies, uh, actually the first three times they made the tournament. So 1989, there was no pairwise, kind of get introduced in the early 90s. And then in 2000 and 2001, they finished 12th and 5th, and then in 02, 10th. And those first three years of pairwise in which they qualified, there were only 12 teams that actually made the tournament. So um, kind of an interesting one. So the first year, they were actually the last team that technically made it. So they've had uh, a sixth-place finish, 8th, 6th, 13th, 9th, 13th, 12th, 2nd, 1st, 1st, and then 15th, obviously, last year, if you want to be technical about it. So... Nick, men's hockey. Yes. Um, We are just coming up on the top of this uh, hour, so to speak, on our little stream calculator here. Um, I don't know that they deserve a whole lot of time on our airways after the performance this weekend. So I thought about this, Nick. Uh, We're going to do the men's hockey seven minutes of hell segment. I am getting my timer ready. And what do I mean by the seven minutes of hell? I think that's about the amount of minutes that the Huskies actually had some good hockey over the entire course of this weekend. So um, we're going to talk for exactly seven minutes 
about the men's hockey uh, weekend and what they have to look forward to as they now sit 10th in the pairwise. And we're going to start right now. Well, uh, we'll sum it up in 30 seconds. Uncharacteristically unhardworking, brain dead hockey, no puck security, no will. And effectively, this was a team that appeared to me that they were against the wall. They knew they were against the wall. And instead of going out and taking something that they could easily, I think, on paper should have taken, um, they decided to play passive. They decided to. Oh, hi. Hey, (laughs) for those who didn't know, I was wiping off my camera for those on the audio feed. But I just saw like a whole bunch of like I thought maybe the thing had fell anyway. Uh, Oh, you mean kind of like the Huskies last weekend? Yeah, um, they played passive. They weren't on pucks uh, again, trying to take an individual effort just to too much with it. Um, This is one where, you know, and we've talked about this before, Noah, where when when a team loses and especially like in the most ways the Huskies lose, they're at least playing the game the right way. Can't get a bounce or miss. Maybe you run into a hot goaltender and it's frustrating that way. This is one where if I'm head coach Brett Larson, Dave Shayak and Nick Oliver, I am eviscerating this hockey squad. Yeah, this is about of a frustrating from a coach's perspective as a weekend that they've played. I've seen in quite some time. Um and I hope to hell that they call up Darby Hendrickson to bag skate the absolute crap out of him because they absolutely yeah. deserve it. The good news is, and then I'll pass the torch on to you, is they don't get much time to squall over it, which also means they don't get a lot of time to rest on it because they have Duluth. And what shirt this is, to say it lightly, this is for home ice on Tuesday. If yep. they drop that one, you're now looking at a possibility where you are behind Omaha technically now with the tiebreaker with uh, wins versus losses because now everybody will have caught up to equal games play. And that means you're in a position to travel to Lawson and to take on Western Michigan, the building that you have not had little to any success on in recent memory. This is their season on Tuesday and you hope darn well that somebody's alarm bell wakes them up because if they don't, this is this is trouble territory. Yeah, that was bad. That was really bad. Um, angeringly bad. Um, yeah, you can't you can't only score three goals uh, against a team that right now has actually not moved in the pairwise. Is still sitting at twenty second in Omaha. You can't it, you can't you can't have you know a finish like that. We were looking at it. Uh, you know, with the Huskies, there's only one team actually in the pairwise that um, is in the top 16 that has a worse winning percentage than the Huskies. And it actually is the team that they're chasing right now in Duluth. But the Huskies currently sitting sixth right now in the NCHC, meaning that they would get Western Michigan in the first round instead of the Bulldogs, which um, I think there's a lot of implications, not only related to home ice, but just taking care of business here this week. Um, you know, I'll throw this out here. Nick, um, as angry as I am and as much as I really don't want to talk about the men's team right now, it's aggravatingly frustrating. Um, I'm still on board with this team. I think that's the one thing I want to point out. Um, there are team, there are fans who are already jumping ship here. I get it. It's frustrating. I think part of the thing that's been a challenge is the Huskies are trending in the wrong direction. And I think if the regular season resumes for them as normal, they maybe look a little bit better but coming back after a three-week layoff on top of another three-week layoff, so to speak, 
facing two of the best teams in the country in North Dakota and Denver without two of your best players. Yeah. Did not, did not start them on the best trajectory here in the second half. Can they figure it out? We've seen crazier things happen, Nick. Um, but right now they'll have to very concerning signs. I mean, very concerning, very it, scary. And you know, the Huskies, like we said, finishing 10th in the pairwise, uh, they've got five games left need at least three. I would, I would say at, at minimum. Yeah. Probably at minimum, probably even four, to probably really, four to keep themselves in an okay spot, depending on where those wins come from. Obviously only two opponents left uh, CC and Duluth. Um, and they're bookending each other. Duluth is on that end. The Huskies did thank their lucky stars, got a ton of help this weekend. Uh, Clarkson losing a big one uh, the other day. Uh, and then it was um, Nodak actually sweeping yeah, Duluth. Nodak sweeping Duluth. And then it was Quinnipiac, um, who sits right behind North Dakota in the pairways, actually losing a one nothing game to Harvard. So Harvard and Cornell out east helping the Huskies a, a tiny bit, I guess. But really, it was North Dakota who has been uh, oddly the savior right now for the Huskies uh, yep. in terms of the weekend, uh, getting both of those wins in regulation against Duluth up at Amsoil. So that was, uh, you know, a big, big victory for, for Huskies fans. They, home the, ice, the, home the, ice is, is not, is not out of the question here, which is shocking to say. I mean, Saint it's Cloud, not out of the question. However, you talk about three, if not four wins, you're going to need to pick up, if not all three, but no less than two from those head-to-head matchups in Duluth, mm-hmm. I would almost argue you need all three because of because yeah. they're six-point swings. Honestly, if you think about it, um, yeah. And then to, to touch on this, Noah, too, um, got to get at least a split against CC, which is sadly yeah. terrifying to say. Yeah, right now for this club. Um, I, I here's here's the setup though. You know, we talk about North Dakota giving us help immediately there's also the um you call it the ripple effect or the you know the unintended consequences that's going to be a pissed off umd squad as well uh coming in on tuesday so which means both these teams are going to be pissed which unfortunately for the huskies we saw that a little bit with omaha when you're when they got the emotions and they start losing their hockey iq and uh again brodzinski took uh, I think an undisciplined penalty. I think it was Friday. I get an offensive zone cross check. Frustrations abound. Uh, Donnie, who has been a, a, has been a, essentially a liability. Bushy had a terrible game. Uh, I thought Jack Peart also had looked really, really tough this yeah. past weekend, um, more than he has again for uh, still a young freshman defenseman who's got some tools, but still trying to figure things out at the collegiate level. So they're going to have to write the ship fast or else it's uh, going to be sinking that much quicker. Yeah, very, 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 very bad. Not a lot of bright spots to look. Huskies have Duluth on Tuesday. Colorado College coming up this weekend. Nick, that is the end. The alarm is off. The alarm bells are ringing. It is panic in the bunker for the St. Cloud State Huskies. Um, And that's all the time that I think they deserve, unfortunately, this week. Uh, Moving on to some women's hockey. They are getting ready for the quarterfinals, like we had mentioned. Uh, Number seven, St. Cloud State facing number two, Ohio State. This one's going to be at the OSU Ice Rink in Columbus, Ohio. So game one's going to be this upcoming Friday, February 25th. That one's going to be 5 p.m. Central time. Uh, Game two is going to be the following Saturday at 2 o'clock. And then if necessary, game three on that Sunday, also at 2 o'clock Central time there for uh, fans. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of women's hockey, I I think we're missing an elephant in the room. And I bring this up because not a lot of time spent on the men's, but I do think there's an important question for the women's. 
with Saturday's loss in the fashion that they lost. Yeah. And it, this is not unheard of this season. They have actually carried multiple third period leads to see them disintegrate. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think we're at that time where we, I think the discussion needs to be had and, you know, is Steve McDonald part of the squad next year? Yeah. Saw this one coming. Um, I actually went and did some, uh, calculations, um, to see, to see some historical trends, to see where St. Cloud has been historically in terms of so the Huskies right now, like we had mentioned, uh, moving, moving in their record to 921 and three on the season, right? In the early years, um, so St. Cloud State women's hockey, their first season was 99-2000, right? So it's been 21 or 22 seasons. I can't remember. I think it's 22. Um, now, if you include this year, 13 times, has St. Cloud State women's hockey won at least nine or more games in its history? Okay, um, and a lot of those came in the in the 2000s. So from 99 2000 to about 2009, um, had a couple of really good seasons. I mean, there were some seasons where they were a pretty dominant team in the WCHA for for a while, which um, is kind of interesting. A couple of decent seasons under Eric Rude, um, and then since the team that has been her- inherited by Steve McDonald. Um, this is, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is actually the most wins uh, that a team under his helm has had because it was six wins a couple of years ago. And it was uh, the one year that you and I were both there. They finished with like four total four, wins. I think, yeah, yeah it was not was not good. They had like two total WCHA wins. Their last win was like a one to nothing finish or something against Mankato. Um, so, yeah, like you mentioned, you know, the quarterfinals and the WCHA final faceoff. Should the Huskies find some magic the following weekend against March fifth, you know that could spell the end. You know for Steve McDonald's tenure, I, I'm torn, and not because not because I like Steve as a guy. Steve's been fantastic to us, obviously, and as have Molly and Janelle. I'm torn because I go back to the question: Is it a coaching issue, or is it a Eric Rude left? with the 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 personnel that was there with the, with the players that were there and they haven't been able to find players and recruit you know that that game breaking superstar that that has kind of been able to kind of solidify that ship you know that puck moving defenseman that natural goal scorer part of that comes down to when you don't have success at the division 1 level especially in the WCHA where do all the good players go nick you know they go to we wisconsin they go to Minnesota, they go to Ohio State, they're not coming to St. Cloud State, which obviously makes an uphill challenge. I think Molly and Janelle are probably a little bit heavier on the recruiting side than Steve is. That's kind of by nature. Same on the men's side, um, you know, with Brett Larson, Dave Shyak, Nick Oliver uh, as well. But I can see it going either way. My question is, does a coaching change really change things? Will it change things? And the second question is, if you believe it will change things, who in your mind is the person who is ready to to jump in and take charge and be able to turn a rebuilding team into a legitimate contender, similar to what maybe Ohio State or Duluth have done in recent years for their women's program? So there's two facets of coaching, right? Um, there is the game itself, which, you know, there's no question Steve knows the game. He's been around the game a long time, right? Then there's there's the, the player, and then there's the person. We're seeing this even here for in Minnesota with the Minnesota Vikings with their recent hire. It's 
does the coach have the ability to communicate and connect with their players as people? Does that coach show that they care? Does the coach know how to read the room? And what I mean by that is, uh, for those who've obviously played sports, it's like, you know, you're out there as a quarterback. Um, you make a bad pass, it gets picked off. You know it, right? Yeah. Do Does the coach let it just dwell? Like, you understand that you can see it on the kid's face. I can see his head's down. He knew he, he missed the read or he missed the defender that was coming across. And I'll let that one be for a few minutes. We'll talk about it later kind of thing, right? Yeah. Or does the coach go over and say, dude, what the blank are you doing? Defender reserve the whole time. Yeah. It, and this is, I've talked yeah. about this at, at two with, and this was the, 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 what killed Mike Hill. Mike Hill is a fantastic head coach uh, to me, obviously not the greatest Roman Philly, but the one issue he has is he's kind of got that old school, please do it this way. This is the way I want it done. Do it or we're not going to be a good team. He's got that kind of commando yeah. type yeah, presence. He's, he's, as we would say in the biz, he's not a player's coach. Right. Um, and, and I want to ask Nick, as you continue on your point, does I was looking back again, historically, some of the most successful teams that this Huskies program has had have been commanded. The head coach has been female. Does that make a difference? Yes or no? So it's a complicated answer, right? Because you have to ask the players on the roster, right? Because I don't necessarily know if it's male, female. I think it's just how you project yourself as a head coach, um, you know, and how you can make that bridge uh, between your players as your coaching staff. Right. Um, so it, it's not as simple as it female versus male coach. It, it, to me, that's, that's not the answer. The answer is who is that person as a personality? Who are they as a coach? What's their coaching style? And again, you know, we say this all the time. And I, and again, when Mike Hill was let go, you know, I, I think even he said, you know, there's only so many ways you can coach hockey. It's not like the game, like is being reinvented, um, every single year. No, but, the challenge as a coach is how can you get your teammate, your team below you to buy into the way you got to play, how different players can accept their role on different lines and understand that it's a, you know, it's approach that works as a whole that we all do something a little bit differently. And if we all do what we are supposed to do, this is how we can find success. It's how can you sell that message to get them to buy in. Right. And I get the sense based on some, some conversations and, and some inside sources that there is maybe potentially some trouble with that with Steve McDonald. Um, again, I'm not in the locker room. Uh, I don't spend, you know, the time around the team that much. So I can't say, I, I know that to be a matter of fact, but from the reports that I have and the sources that I have, that seems to be the common theme uh, with Steve. And that might be possibly a reason for change again um the reason why i bring this up we probably haven't prefaced this is that his contract ends after this season we probably yeah. should so this is not a, a, a you know just a, a what do you call it just a rip, random rip point Steve, yeah. right no and and again there we, we've seen some better recruits under his watch we've seen some better skill talent come in um but again is that him is that the assistants we don't know um i do think though just from my eye with the talent that they do have I do feel like they have left some points on the board. I do feel like that there has been some hockey situations where I think they could be better in. Um, and, 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 it, and you talked about the mental side of it, right? And that's kind yeah. of where coaching comes into, you know, being able to hold a one goal lead, being able to, even if that game gets tied, 
push it to overtime, you know, kind of get back on the high horse and things happen. I mean, hockey is hockey, but they've happened too much in this organization. And it's interesting that you had mentioned too about the recruiting piece for those who don't remember when you and I were both there a couple of years ago, that freshman class that was actually captained, uh, so to speak by Clara Himmlerova was actually the most offensively successful freshman group in St. Cloud state women's hockey history. So that kind of tells you about some of the pieces that they have brought in. Emma Gentry has been an extreme bright spot in terms of some of the younger core players now, uh, usually on the score sheet every weekend, but yeah, you know, the discussion, uh, question marks a a lot of question marks um i'm not really sure uh where where this group goes but i wouldn't be shocked to maybe see one of the assistant coaches potentially at the helm next season uh as they continue to move forward here nick we have we're just hitting about the 40 minute mark probably just under it but i know that our extra ice segment is going to be a little bit short so i do have two more topics i want to talk about on the topic docket here quickly very first off both of them involve the nhl we're going to start with the Minnesota Wild, who I don't know if they're slumping as of late, but, you know, yeah. kind of some kind of some odd little results for them. Obviously, Winnipeg, for whatever reason, has found success uh, in Winnipeg against the Wild. And then the Florida Panthers are doing Florida Panthers things and the Wild really shot themselves in the foot the other night. They're going to be back in action here soon. But I mean, what have you kind of assessed from the Wild in their recent two game st- skid? First of all, isn't it funny how when you say the Florida Panthers are doing Florida Panthers things, that means that they're on an absolute tear? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, um, you say that two years ago. Well, OK, I yeah, said so they literally laid over, they rolled over and played dead. Yeah, um, you're like, you're like, oh, Sergey Bobrovsky led in 10. OK. But, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> holy cow. that That's a wagon. That team's a wagon. Yeah, uh, holy cow. That um, in Carolina, man. How and honestly, how cool would it be to see Florida, you know, get to say an East final? Um, I just honestly, they're kind of, they're kind of in the same boat as Toronto. They're just trying to get past the first round. <laughs> yeah. And Minnesota, um, Florida, yeah. Florida, Minnesota, Florida, 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 yeah, right down. Um, oh geez. The ratings would be probably not great nationally for that, but <laughs> as Caleb would say, mark it down. <laughs> like a Dan. Um, but I, I think it'd actually be really cool to see Florida go on a run. Um, the problem is they're in such a stacked East Eastern conference, right? Because you have Toronto, you've got Tampa. Hey, Uh, Hey, so was Tampa against Columbus a couple of years ago. How'd that work out? Uh, well, uh, we can ask John Tortorella. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, he'll give you a great explanation on that. Um, so, uh, but seriously for the wild, it seems to be more defensively right now. Um, the loss of Matt Dumba has really, I think shined. Um, I think that's a big part of the struggles on defense. Um, Jimmy Ben not knowing how to skate sometimes tripping on the blue lines doesn't help either. Um, nice and slippery out there. Man. I, I know. I give him crap. He, you know, he he hasn't been as bad as he looked in preseason. My goodness, that was looking really yeah. tough. He, uh, I I feel like this last week though. Um, and I'm I'm gonna say this lightly. So you Jordy Ben haters, shut up. But um, I will say I I think he has struggled a little bit as of recently in terms of some of his zone exits, just some puck possession type things, some decision making things where he's had a, a bit more turnovers and that sort of thing. But He's sure the beast, man. The guy plays in the yep. show. I mean, he's he's a seventh line. You know, he's a seventh defenseman. He's yeah. usually a scratch. Um, he's there for a reason. Now he he's, he's serviceable, sure. So, but definitely need Matt Dumba back in the lineup. Yeah. Um, and that's because to me, I mean, the offense has been okay, except for you know the the, the Winnipeg thing. And, and I think the Winnipeg um, approach has been let's just frustrate these guys. They, they're coming at them physically, and I think they they kind of knock Minnesota off their game a little bit. You know, Minnesota wants to be on the attack. They want to be that free skating team, and, and Winnipeg yeah. just kind of gets under the skin a little bit. So that's how I read it anyway. Um, and then again, Florida, uh, when the the 
the Florida Panthers, the highest scoring team in the National Hockey League in terms of goals per game. Yes, you can double check that. No, I see your eyes. Um, I was Cody, actually gonna, I was just looking at the standings, but, <laughs> but I wanted to it, see the goal differential is what I, I like to see. But they're, they're in the plus 50 range, if I recall. They're they're not average. Yeah. Right. So. Um, wow. Uh, so I, I don't really take too much stock into that. I do. I feel like that game would have been different if Dumba's in the lineup, um, uh, in, in a positive way. And a lot of people like to crap on Matt Dumba. I think he's actually a lot better than people actually give him credit for. Oh my um, gosh. Colorado and Florida are both plus 60. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> yeah. Also, when's the last time we said that Minnesota was plus 36 in the goal column? I mean, that's, yeah, it hasn't been very often, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm not that worried about it. I mean, every team goes through ups and downs, right? So um, they, tonight they're in Edmonton. They can take advantage of a team that just can't seem to get their crap together after a, an incredibly torrid start. I mean, my goodness, we thought they were going to run away yeah. um, there with the, the Pacific Division. And instead, now they're actually on the outside of the playoff bubble looking in. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the flames are on fire, no pun intended. Um <laughs> Holy cow! And didn't they, didn't they just get G, uh, Giordano back to you from trade? Uh that's not a quality, yet. Quality question. <laughs> Actually, no, I no. don't think so. They got Tyler Toffoli. They got Toffoli. I remember that. But, oh, you know what? It was the. You're right. No, because they just played Seattle, and it was their. It was first time back in California. Yeah, Nick, that's you're right. not. You're not allowed to just take people from the other team. It's kind of illegal. <laughs> I tried though. No, um, um, you, you know, it's interesting though. The wild season, I, I think first place is probably out of reach for this club. We got a lot of hockey left though. I will say that, but the wild are, are excuse me, Colorado is kind of sneaking away there uh, at the top of the pack in the central fine. division. But that's fine. Um, other than that, I mean, as long as you're in second place, honestly, um, yeah. to me, you're okay. Cause then you, you basically the only, I think if you do the, the standings correctly, if you finish behind Colorado, the only time you'd face them had to would be the West final. Yeah. Um, well, let's take, a, let's take a look at some wild card stuff. Actually, Minnesota technically in third right now, because they have three less games played right now, but um, it's uh, maybe Minnesota and the blues matching up in the first round. And then it I would be Colorado, Colorado getting um, I believe Los Angeles right yeah. now. Um, or potentially Anaheim. So LA and Nashville are kind of in that mix there. Somehow the Dallas stars are still alive. I don't, I don't know how, but um, they're yeah, by proxy. Oh, they, they are seven and three actually in their last 10. So the stars have kind of turned it around and uh, moved in the right direction, but Minnesota uh, seven and three as well in their last 10. So I think, you know, they've lost their last two. We'll have to see how they can kind of respond. I think okay. uh, a, a little bit, fine. they are doing much better than the men's team of St. Cloud. Um, but speaking of things that, you know, aren't doing so well in our last kind of five minutes of the regular portion of the show, Nick, uh, the Arizona coyotes continue to be a dumpster fire. Um, and I've uh, never been extinguished. <laughs> yeah. Let's get, let's, let's get right to the point here. Um, first of all, do you believe that the shared revenue for hockey related revenue that goes amongst the all 32 teams, do you think now with moving to ASU, should Arizona be exempt from this and kind of be on their own? And you know, kind of have to fend for themselves a little bit here, or should they still be a part of the current CBA as, as noted? So here's what's funny. That still isn't technically done yet. Technically (laughs) it really isn't. So just because they've entered an agreement and this, this point often gets lost, right? Um, Yeah. Yes. The agreements there between the NHL and the Arizona state that that's, that's done. However, that is predicated on the approval of the Tempe arena uh, development project. So say next two months, 
Tempe comes back and says, we've rejected your offer. Do you really think they're still going to be there? No, I don't. Um, well, I that's, think, well, that's because they got rejected to hand it to the moon, but it's probably a better I fitting know. place. I, I heard their arena is better up there too. So um, <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably more fans. <clears throat> yeah, probably. Um, but, but honestly, still, there's a lot that has to happen for this to this sort of temporary home to, to actually take place. And, and, to the point, let's just assume it does for the sake of argument, because we're talking about hockey related revenue, revenue sharing um, for those of, of folks who are NHL or don't know. So basically a portion of ticket sales, merchandise sales, I'll go into a pool for the NHL and it gets divided up into all, um, 32 NHL teams. Um, effectively, the arguments from other owners is how in the hell is it that you're going to generate revenue to the level that we are in an 18,000 seat stadium when you're only going to have at some reports that may be as low as 3,200 seats um, in, uh, in ASU yeah, um, after yeah. the, after think the of, remodeling. Think about that. If ASU has sellout, sellout crowds and they fit 3,200, it would take potentially six hockey games to match one game at the bell center. Right. So, and you kind of wonder what the ticket prices are going to be. Yeah. Right. I mean, because you, you simple supply and demand says they'll go up, but is there a demand for Arizona hockey? At that level, I don't know. I, I think in so, the be, I think in the beginning, I think there will be. But if they continue to suck, then I think the appeal, the the allure of the oddity will will detract. You know, yeah, it's, that's true. It's, it's yeah. not like they're playing at ASU for one season. And it's like okay, small band aid, kind of a quirky little oddity. Like their contract is three years with an option for a fourth. For fourth, right? Yeah. So again, you know, we're still not even fully plan in motion yet. So. Um, cause imagine this, imagine Tempe and again, Tempe rejects, we're at a much different conversation. We're at a different conversation, which is, I think Gary Bettman finally has to swallow his pride and say, this team is on the move hundred yeah. percent. This, this is, this is their last chance to stay in Arizona. There's no question about that. Yeah. Now it's good that they have a sort of a lifeline that, you know, while they're building the stadium, if approved, they have a place to play. That's cool. But that's step two. We're not past step one yet. And I think we have to understand and remember that, you know, step two can happen unless you check off step one. Um, but if I'm an owner, say, let's, let's say a big market, I'm not going to name a certain team in Illinois because they continue just to <laughs> self-implode. Uh, but how about, you know, how about larger markets like New York, especially? Um, how about uh, Los Angeles? They're big markets. Um, they're essentially supporting Arizona with, you know, with the revenue that it generates. So if I'm an owner and a portion of my sales are going to fund a team that's in a 4,000 seat stadium, I'm not very happy about yeah. that. Um, so, and again, we're still on the waiting docket. Honestly, we're still waiting for this whole thing to take place. Um, I, I, honestly, you can't say yes or no. They have to or else Arizona just folds by a measure of economics. So, yeah. Um, speaking of economics, Nick, the last little kind of point I what kind of want to ask you, because I, I know you you have probably much better insight into this than I do, um, which isn't saying much. But um, speaking of uh, things that have yet to be decided, uh, question marks about the luxury tax, uh, similar to I believe the NBA, I think, is the, yeah. um, the league that uses that. Uh, is a luxury tax maybe a more appropriate discussion with all the things that are going on with Arizona for teams on the other side that are able to do these things? So... So for those who don't understand a luxury tax, right? So basically in a cap system like the NHL, um, there's no way technically to spend over the cap. Technically, the way the NHL gets around that or teams is you have team, you have 
a player that makes 10 million like Jack Eichel, they get injured and they can't play for at least 10 games or 24 calendar days. They get placed in long-term injury reserve. And so what the NHL says is, Hey, that 10 million that would be in Jack Eichel's place, you can add contracts up to that player's contract amount. So that way you can put a team on the ice effectively. What has happened is, uh, in this case of Tampa, in the case of, well, Vegas is going to have to do this. They've found ways to use LTI and LTIR um, to effectively circumvent the cap, even though it technically, yeah. you know. And, I, and, it's, and it's funny, too, that the Athletic actually did a piece uh, about asking some of, you know, other NHL execs about what they thought about that. And they're like, we kind of accept it. I mean, we all agreed on the CBA and they're like, that could be us someday. And they don't, yeah. they don't, they don't feel like teams are circumventing it, so to speak, because you're still no. hurting your franchise by losing another player. And I think teams just kind of accept that it's the reality, but they're taking advantage of the CBA as written. So I don't yep. think a lot of NHL teams are freaking out about it, but fans, you know how even keel they are. So the, so the fans have something that, is a little bit misinterpreted. That is, you can just place anybody in LTIR. They can stay there as long as they want. No, everything is doctor certified. So yeah. you have to actually have a, a medical exam to be placed in LTIR. Um, you get regular um, medical exams on checkups when you are on LTIR to essentially either extend or say, no, this player is clear to play. So now could we have the discussion of whether there's maybe, I don't know if there's a, if it's a, like a clean across the board, independent review of those. If that's, I think it's just the team doctors that make that determination. Now, maybe that's one thing the CBA could look at is maybe it's an independent, like NHL arbitrator that does those exams to prevent that kind of thing. But either way, what we're seeing is that there are teams that are owners, I should say, um, that have money that want to spend more over the cap. And essentially what that would, a luxury tax would do would be like, say, a certain range, let's say it's five men over the cap, they get taxed at a certain percentage. If they go over that, they tax at a higher percentage. That percentage of luxury tax goes into the shared revenue and gets distributed amongst other teams, which in theory means you're funding your enemy. Yeah. And, as, and so the, I think there's got to be a hybrid system. I think you have to have, I think a luxury tax actually makes sense for two reasons. One of the initial might be forced to just with the way that escrow is one to there's so many teams that are up against the cap that that's partly why LTI and LTR are being used the way they are is that teams are finding a way to try to keep their own players. And that's the biggest argument for luxury tax, AKA Minnesota wild Kuroko Kaprizov. At some point, if he continues to play this way, he's going to cost you a lot more than $9 million a year. He's going to ask somewhere in the 12 to $13 million a year range, right? Yeah. Under the, yeah, the cap goes up and is adjusted by team valuations. So if it's not going up very much, so to speak, then that means that player you spent time to draft, that thing you spent time to develop, you wait five years to sign them, you get them to a big boy contract, you burn a year's contract just to get them in. All of a sudden, because of capital applications, you have to let them go. That's the biggest argument from the fans' perspective and also from GM's perspectives. Um, I think it makes sense. I think there there is a conversation we had about luxury tax. Um, the NHL has stoutly rejected the luxury tax. And this actually has been in CBA negotiations all the way to 0405. Yeah. So, so this and is I, not a I, new thing. And I'm, and I'm actually in that same boat too. And the reason being is I, I still think that there is a unique challenge, you know, for some teams like the Arizona coyotes, they never get to the cap ceiling. Uh, first no. of all. And if they do, it's taking on really bad contracts or the Marion hosts of the world. But um, I'm a, I'm a fan of it because I think, you know, you say 81 and a half million dollars, give or take essentially, Every team, like 
there it is. Like you got to find a way within those eighty one and a half million dollars. And Minnesota, for better or worse, is going to pay for the Chuck Fletcher era of the signing of the Zach Parise Ryan Suter contracts. That's just kind of nature of the beast. But I think that kind of goes back to, you know, for example, Dougie Hamilton signing for nine and a half million dollars in New Jersey. New Jersey says we're willing to take this risk. We're willing to accept this risk with this contract. Um, and I and I think it's appropriate. I think that's something that, you know, the Minnesota the Minnesota Wild are paying for it now simply because they were willing to take a chance on two guys that ultimately kind of panned out, but not really panned out. Right. Um, so it, it's it's kind of an interesting discussion, I think, all things considered. I have uh, one final point with that too, Noah, sure. uh, just to wrap up this before we get to extra ice. Um, I look at it as a good thing. I look at it as that the league itself is getting more top end talent. I look at it as that. I mean, let's think back to old four Oh five. You had what Crosby and then Ovechkin. And that was about it as far as like really good level talent. Right. Yeah. Whereas now <clears throat> you can almost look to almost every NHL squad and find a bona fide superstar on their roster. Yeah. That's good. Right. <clears throat> what is bad and what's highlights by the current cap structure is you are in danger with the salary cap number really not keeping pace with player contract asking and valuations, right? Yeah. Um, COVID, COVID definitely has something to do with that. But. COVID had a lot to do with it too, with the league losing revenue that too. But at the same time, it doesn't, the luxury tax solves that too, because if you have owners that everybody lost money, right? The league lost money. Owners lost money. I mean, it was a giant collective loss, right? It was in the, was it $3 billion range? I think the NHL yeah. lost, not a, not a small chunk of change. Um, but the league is trending upward. And I think you do have to make it available for teams that have a bona fide superstar that they can pay money to keep them. Now there is, I think an argument to made, whereas if you have like, say the owners of the New York Rangers, who have got very deep pockets. Um, you do want them. You do sort of want a prevention at some point, you know, I do think you have to cap luxury tax amount at some number yeah. um, where it's <laughs> like maybe it's 10 million, right? Where it's, they can't just spend, 40 million over and pay an, an egregious tax. I don't think that that's yeah. healthy either. I, do I, think... I, I don't I don't even know that you go that high. $10 million. I mean, besides your Connor McDavid-esque people, I mean, $10 million is potentially two top six players in the NHL. I mean... Uh, it's tough or, because or, again, Austin or, Matthews or, is 12 or um, middle six, but, but I think you're, you're making the case for the superstar of Austin Matthews. Well, even let's say, let's say you, you can only go $5 million over the cap. I, I mean, I think that's probably more appropriate because, you know, if you can't, if you can go $5 million over the cap and you still can't find room for the $12 million of Austin Matthews at that particular point, because then Austin Matthews in theory costs you, you know, $7 million. Right. technically under under that idea there's something inherently wrong with your franchise and i think it opens up the door maybe a little bit for you know teams they're just going to push that limit out to there and then want to push it even more and, and i feel like well, that's why that's why the hard cap is kind of there um it's they so the initial says competitive balance and i think there is some truth to that no i do i think on the surface level or in detail that it actually does say what it does no i don't um because the only thing that the initial teams are required to do is spend to the cap floor. We talked about Arizona, right? That's really the only requirement. Um, so the owners, they have the ability to spend only up to the 82 and a half million. 
Arizona, for whatever reason, they're choosing not to, right? Yeah. Um, so, so that's an ownership thing. So, so, so my question, though, I mean, with a luxury tax, I mean, in theory, you're pretty much saying here's $81.5 million of the salary cap. Now it's $86.5 million. Aren't you effectively doing the same thing? Why not just move the, the cap higher? You no, know what I mean? Like, Yeah. So, but the, the problem is, is it's still this it's that's how the salary cap is 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 calculated right so at that point it's not a really a salary cap at that point is just more of a spending limit because yeah. the salary cap again is tied to team valuations actually tied to something that they calculate uh the luxury tax to me makes sense because think of it this way let's say it is 10 million let's just let's just go egregious here for a second because yeah. that's something i never do anyway um but let's just say you tax that 10 million dollars out of 100 percent tax rate let's say like for every two and a half million you charge them 25 percent tax on each level right yeah Let's just say that Arizona's owners, let's just keep crapping on Arizona because, well, they have not really spent money for quite some time. Um, let's say that $10 million is taxed at 100%. So that's $10 million, So that player is going to cost you $20 million. Yeah. So first of all, that's actually pretty steep, right? So if you're going to yeah. bring in Connor, that's $20 bucks, right? 10 goes to the player, 10 goes to HRR and to that shared revenue. Sad part is Connor McDavid is probably worth it, but anyway. Probably. Um, <laughs> but let's just say all of a sudden Arizona owner actually, now all of a sudden has 3 or $4 million of extra money that is free money, now house money. Uh, okay, maybe actually we'll go out and spend a little bit of money on that. So the idea is, and again, this is you know more theory-based than anything, that it would eventually funnel down to those teams and they would enhance say it well if he's going to spend that money well then maybe i should spend a little money now if trickled on economics as we've seen in the united states history doesn't necessarily work so um i have my issues with that i also have issues with because what the nba's luxury tax system they also now basically become a super team league right so the competitive yeah. balance it did actually wane a little bit so um I think there is a way though to make it work. I think a five million dollar over would be okay, but I think I like I said, you cap it at you know just a little bit over again. Like you said, that's maybe one extra player. I, I, I think maybe a, actually a place to maybe take some info from maybe, might be Formula One racing. So Formula One actually just introduced the cost cap last year, and it's going to drop by five million dollars actually each year for the next couple of years. But what they do is uh, your spending is related on specific things. So like. You know, for example, like engine parts, like things that directly relate to the car, things that don't relate. So like hotel lodging, things like that. Right. Some things are capped, some things aren't. But the things that are capped, you can only go 5% over the cap unless specific requirements are met. So like obviously for automobile racing, like certain like crashes or things like that. But that's kind of an interesting, maybe a little concept to explore where it's percentage based that you don't actually have a set number, but it's actually related to what the potential cap hit is for that particular uh, year, maybe something like that. But um, I think the biggest travesty out of all this, Nick, how about the fact that there were some people that really wanted us to trade Kirill Kaprizov before this season. Can we go back to that? Like, <laughs> you want to talk about $9 million well spent, ladies and germs. Well, well spent. It's funny how sports fans' emotions especially in the Twin Cities market, because there just hasn't never been success sustained. There just hasn't been. And you you end up becoming your own worst enemy, right? You almost become almost like you, you almost you're the to, to, yeah, everybody panic 2.0. So um, <laughs> I mean, seriously, though, because at the at the end of it, you start finding ways to say, well, we're not going to keep this player anyway. He's going to cost us too much. So why sign him? Why just not just trade him while he's got a what, high value? You, you it's know, like, Nick, Nick no. why, why get up in the morning? 
<laughs> well, at my age, every time you wake up is a good thing. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nick's two certified nursing assistants come in and help him out of bed every morning. Um, if I'm lucky. So, but, but speaking of things that, um, maybe don't need a whole lot of help, all things considered, we're going to move on to our extra eye session and talk a little bit about women's hockey, especially related to the Olympics. Welcome into the Extra Ice Session for episode number 100 here on the Huskies Warming House you podcast. You forgot, didn't you? <laughs> no, I was actually trying to make it dramatic. I was actually going to let you fill in the blank there, but then I realized I don't give a shit about you. So, um, You just realized that? That's BS. So. <laughs> yeah, it only took me 100 episodes, right? Yeah, no, it's, I've started before episode one. It actually happened uh, on the couch in a apartment building in St. Cloud. And actually you were even too wussy to say to me, I had to have Alexa do it. So, yeah, well, you know, what's funny is actually, um, I remember episode one, um, it was in KBSC studios. It was a good time. Um, I've actually only technically that was episode two. Cause you remember episode one, we actually filmed it with yeah. cameras and a three camera shot. And actually one of the, uh, what now is essentially a luxury suite there uh, over uh, the opponent's net. Yeah, it's kind it's kind of uh, kind of wild how that uh, ended up, and boy, would that have been a would that have been a, a lot of work? But it was a lot. She's just for that one episode. My God. Yeah, it meant hundred episodes of that. We'd be dead by now. Um, the the eight o'clock start is is challenging enough, but you know, one location that probably doesn't need a lot of help in terms of uh, a jump starting things is actually women's hockey in the Olympics and kind of intriguing there was an article written a couple of weeks ago um i forget who it was by but it was essentially saying that you know why is women's hockey in the olympics right it's only going to be u.s versus canada there's not enough parity beyond those two teams and um maybe there's an argument to, to the parity piece a little bit but there's a deeper, deeper discussion that we're obviously well, that's called a surface argument but yeah sure. definite definitely and we're going to jump into that but i want to talk about you know how exciting is this, right? Uh, that game, 2.89 million viewers on NBCSN and 3.7 million across all platforms. It is the second highest viewed, most viewed hockey game, so to speak, since 2019, both women's or men's in any capacity on any level. That's NHL games, international games, whatever you want to call it. Very exciting. Um, I thought the U.S. was the better team in that hockey game, but you can't go down three to nothing. Really kind of shot themselves in the foot, unfortunately, uh, and weren't able to claw back in that victory uh, uh, for Canada to win gold there. But, Nick, um, let's start with that ultimate question, that surface-level argument. I, I, think, I think to give any credence to anything, yes, there is a parity disparity. I think it's fair to say that. The U.S. and Canada, their programs – are, are a level above a lot of the other programs internationally, but that's about all I'll give to that credence. And I think that that gap is closing very rapidly uh, in terms of international hockey. Why in the world do you think a writer would make this statement that uh, let's say even there isn't parity, let's say the U S and Canada are light years, eons away above these other two teams. Why would you ever remove it from the Olympics? It, it seems like, whoever wrote this has never seen a hockey game in their life because especially the U S Canada women's games are some of the most entertaining hockey uh, must watch every four years. So for those who don't know, this is actually a, a piece by the Toronto star and it was columnist yeah. Rosie DeMano um, who actually wrote this piece. So um, her argument essentially is because this isn't a competition. She goes, this is just domination by two teams by everybody else for, 
a week and a half. So her argument is, why watch something when we already know the outcome? That's her argument. Well, this is the Toronto Star, which has never had controversial topics like <laughs> Phil Kessel or anything like that. So um, <laughs> let's let's break this down, right? So to a point, she, she, she I see her argument. I, to a point, I see on a very surface, very elementary, yeah. horrible columnist level. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm calling her out a little bit. Yes, um, I, I see her point. I see whereas, you know, the Olympics are supposed to be about teams that are tightly contested. And, you know, this is supposed to be where every team has got a chance. Um, this isn't the LHL. I say, I, I say, is it though? No. You know, no. like. <laughs> yeah, so this this isn't, you know. The world stage of women's hockey, you know, you have to understand that women's hockey is still considered by many countries kind of uh, again, against the norm kind of a thing yeah. socially. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, it's not that they, they can't play or it's still like this is still new. This is still yeah. new to them. Well, how do you grow the game? You keep other people freaking playing, Rosie. That's how this happens, yeah. right? So these are part of growing pains. You know, you're going to have, yeah, you have established programs in the U.S. and Canada. Finland, Sweden are building theirs. Germany's getting in there. Japan what, and China, what actually. What a right? success story, you know. Yeah. Those, those countries were, you know. like uh, the, Yeah, the Czech Republic, uh, you know, so you have Slovakia, right? You have, you can't just say, oh, well, because they're not on their level, they don't belong there. No, what that means is every four years, these countries are going to look at their past results and say, how do we get to this level? Yeah. And that's how you build the game, A, and that's how you build interest. Yeah, it's tough, right? I, I can't imagine going up against Canada in the prelims and getting decimated eight to nothing, right? Yeah. Um, but if, if, you, end- if, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And I, and I, and I find it ironic. It, it's almost like saying Usain Bolt should not be allowed to, back when he was utterly dominant, sh- should not be allowed to compete because he's too fast. He needs to slow down. Like, he, right, he's, no. he's the best in the world for a reason. Yeah, yeah. So I, again, it's 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 an interesting take on uh, and, and something that clearly is growing. These to me, these are growing pains. These are good things, right? Yeah. Now, does let's let's be honest. Do we all want to see Japan get kicked around twelve nothing? No, of course not. Um, but it's about the process, right? You Any know? hockey, right? <laughs> Weird, um, you know. But but that's just it. And it's, the Olympics is just a longer process, right? You understand that, okay? Yeah, you got schlack twelve nothing, right? You probably went the next night. You probably lost eight nothing, right? Um, but you look, you take those results, and you got four years to make improvements, right? You're going to have a new uh, a new movement of youth. You're going to have new skill stock, right? You're going to learn from the systems that they do, right? And how they do on the forecheck. And how was it that the neutral zone, they did this and they prevented my outlet passes, right? You learn something by playing these good teams, right? Yeah, no, it's not, don't let them play. They don't belong in the same ice sheet. The Olympics are more than just competition, right? For the sake of winning. It's it's about getting people together and celebrating the game that is that they're playing too, right? It's about coming together and say, hey, there's a worldwide interest in this sport. Let's come together. Let's play. Yeah, the to me, the gold, the silver, the bronze is more ceremonial than anything. Is there a sense of country pride? Yes. But think of the athletes, right? Think of the opportunities that they're given to be the goal to compete on a world stage. And, you know, again, for those athletes that are on, again, those newly developing programs, this is such an eye-opening type thing. And, you know, yeah, is, you know, those results not great, but there's motivation what? in that too. 
Let, let's take a look to uh, a great example, right? Both the Canadian men uh, and the U.S. men bounce before even uh, getting to the medal round, so to speak, in terms of uh, any sort of medals to be won. But, you know, talk about how the men's side obviously has continued to grow and, and, and you know, become tighter. Finland winning their first ever uh, Olympic gold medal last night. Germany was in it for the first time a couple of years ago against ROC. One of the things that I think is interesting don't tell me if you were a non-U.S. or non-Canada fan at the 2010 Vancouver Olympics. Don't tell me that you didn't watch that gold medal game and say, damn, how can we get to that spot? How can yeah. we do How can we do that where, especially when the next Olympics is in Toronto or something like that, we're the ones that are playing Canada, not the U.S. How can we, how can we get to that point? you know, and be that team to, to beat and, and give Canada or the U.S. these quote-unquote powerhouses a run for their money. I think men's hockey is the example of what women's hockey will hopefully be a couple years down the line where they've they've accelerated or been the first to the process in some senses of really closing that gap because so many countries have gotten involved and invested in it. Well, and, and to just, to, you know, to cap on that point, too, the numbers spoke for themselves. Everybody yeah. was looking forward to the U.S. and, uh, and the Canada's women's game. Yeah. That's been arguably one of the best rivalries in sports yeah. across the entire world. The, 2000, the, memory. the 2018 game, I stayed up till three o'clock watching that one too. And that oh is, boy. that is arguably a top five game. If I've ever yeah. seen one in like hockey history, men's women's aliens, whatever you want to call it. Incredible. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, I forget. I forget that guy's memes. Uh, he's got like kind of a Greek name. That's I've just pictured his face right now. Uh, pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. Aliens. Anyway. Um, but but seriously though. Oh, because, oh, you, oh you mean the scientist? The, yeah, the, the scientist guy with the crazy hair. hair. Yeah, yeah. Holy cow. Looks like uh, he's high all the time. Yeah. Could you imagine him calling a hockey game? That'd be actually be some entertainment. Um, <laughs> on a side note. Um, but I mean, you think about you know that game, the women's game. I mean, even the. Geez, when those two do like the um, like their yearly sort of uh, almost like those little tournaments too, when they're in St. Paul, I mean that game's sold out. Yeah, that game is sold out. That's a heck of a sporting event. It's not just a hockey game. That's a sporting event that people gravitate to. Yeah. Um, the fact that it beat any NHL game, I mean, come on, Harry and, Bettman, what are you doing, buddy? And and also, you know, going back to the country pride thing, you know, the other piece too is regardless of the sport, you know, not even just hockey. I think Canadians obviously have probably a little bit more of an emotional attachment to anything with a puck and a hockey stick, but it's still U.S. versus Canada, man. Like, like let's go. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it, it yeah. could be it could be basketball. It could be the biathlon, which is one of my favorite events of all time, by the way. Um, but like, dude, it is it's country versus country, and you know, it's a sport that's unique to a lot of people. And you know, think about that. Again, you you go back. You know, how many people in China ten years ago were like, yeah, I want to play hockey. How many people say it now? I bet you that number has really grown. And that's all in part yes. to the international play, the ability, like you talked about, some of the Chinese players able to come over and check out Ritter Arena and those sorts of things. Getting and, they to tra- and they trained. Yeah, they getting, trained. Getting I mean, to mingle with American and Canadian players. Like hockey, hockey is for everyone, no matter what the NHL demonstrates or says. Hockey should be for everyone is probably what I'm trying to say. Um, and let's continue to grow the game like that. Well, and, and and that's the part that gets missed too. And the, and I'm glad you brought up that, you know, because what was that one or two episodes ago where I talked about the Chinese national team that spent the summer here in Canada? You know, people yeah. forget that the process of getting to the Olympics, right? You know, they're coming over here, they're learning from us, right? So forget the scoreboard, forget the on ice results. We we know 
that there's some ways for these programs to go, right? But they're not just sitting in Beijing on, and granted, that country, if I understand from the, the leader that I talked to, they only have four ice sheets in the entire country. That's it. Yeah. So part of them coming over here was they need the ice time. Um, they trained up with the super rink uh, uh, structure in Blaine. Again, just worldwide renowned uh, for producing many great hockey talents in Blaine, um, especially if your last name is Rodzinski. Anyways, <laughs> um, but but seriously, um, you know, that that's the sort of camaraderie that's happening behind the scenes before the, you know, the limit torch is even lit. Right. It's 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 that interest in the game. Those countries that are well-established programs are helping out these you know, countries that are new to it, they're saying, hey, this is what we're doing. Learn this. And it doesn't happen overnight, right? But if you can continue to keep that interest there, these programs will build. They'll build interest. And therefore, you grow the game. That's how this happens. Yeah. So, again, I don't know. It's just they belong there. There's no discussion in my book. It's it's period cut and, dry. And probably I'm going to go back. I watched the Finland ROC championship game yesterday. I would say the women's game was more physical and more tightly contested than that game was last night. And that, you know, I, and there's for those who don't know, there's no body contact uh, per se in women's hockey in terms of actual body checking. Um, but it was a gritty all out affair, you know, bodies diving all over the place, desperation plays on the edge. I mean, it was an entertaining hockey game. I think the only thing that stunk is that the Canada, ju Canada jumped out to a lead early, but I thought the U S and their pushback was exciting to watch. And probably that game, I think at least deserved overtime, uh, you know, the way that the U S was able to respond in that hockey game, but I definitely agree to all your points, Nick. And um, it, it'll be exciting. I, I hope that the game continues to grow that parody, um, you know, continues to, to kind of narrow a little bit and more teams get a chance to have some closer games, closer finishes and be able to, you know, let in less goals, score more, you know, kind of the goal of hockey, take note, uh, St. Cloud state Huskies uh, players. Um, but um, <clears throat> anyway, Nick episode number 100, it's been a fun ride. Obviously we continue through a couple of things to note. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we give listeners a rundown? Yeah, so uh, obviously big week here for the Huskies. Uh, nah. you know, if yeah, right. <laughs> um, so and even us for Husky Productions, right? Our Fox Nine crew. Um, this is our last week of of permanent, like for sure, scheduled broadcast. Now, if St. Cloud can find a way to turn things around, right, and they can somehow sneak into that fourth spot, which is still not that far away, yeah. and you have opportunities against the team that's you're chasing, right? to be able to earn that uh, we potentially would have two, if not three more added uh, as first round uh, yeah. broadcasts. Uh, but this and, is and, a big and it, week. And, it, and it's tough. Cause like, you know, as much as I enjoy HP, I don't know if I could handle home ice because like most of the broadcast is really good. But the one thing I can't stand is every time they send it to the studio, that guy that's behind the desk, dude, it dri <laughs> drives me nuts, man. Well, if it makes you feel better, it drives me nuts too. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> as as nick is saying check them out husky production box nine uh you know what's funny nick if it makes you feel any better i had a conversation with my 93 year old grandpa who lives in alexandria and the only college hockey he actually gets is not the gophers uh he actually gets the huskies so um he said to tell you good job so oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> but uh i guess also a personal note i will be calling yes uh state high school quarterfinals on television uh, here probably on Thursday as well. Uh, be for Lakeville North. Um, they have their own little streaming service. I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a couple of broadcasts already. 
Uh, so just trying to, you know, continue to keep working that aspect of, of my game per se, which is, that's not much there, but sure. Um, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, there'll be one, two, there'll be, a, it's going to be a busy broadcast week when you throw in uh, the soda pot on Wednesday, uh, I broadcast Tuesday again for uh, normal St. Cloud. Thursday would be the high school quarterfinal Friday, St. Cloud, Saturday, St. Cloud, and back to Sunday here. So have, I don't have time to breathe. Have, uh, have any good players for St. Cloud come out of Lakeville North? So funny you ask. So there actually is a couple connections still there. Luke Paling, who is the youngest brother, is still playing. Also, um, Henry Ennebeck's uh, little brother is also a defenseman in the squad. And I'll tell you, last week in a song play, he's actually he actually looks pretty good. So yeah, um, yeah. So there's yeah, just a few players have, have made it big there. Yeah, just yeah. a few. Should be exciting as always. Like we mentioned, women's hockey Friday, Saturday, potentially Sunday. WCHA quarterfinals against Ohio State. Men's hockey this upcoming Tuesday. What is the start time for the Tuesday game? Do you remember? Is it's it a, a six o'clock game? Yeah. Now I, I was told because they kind of goofed up the first time uh, a week and a half ago, where the game puck drop was actually timed to be right at six o'clock. Should be six o five, shouldn't it? Yes. So six o five, six o seven, actually yeah. technically. Um, so I'm hoping to have that fixed, but uh, yeah, should be. Uh, a six o'clock broadcaster with a six five to six seven puck drop. Yeah, six o'clock on that one. Obviously, men's hockey Friday and Saturday. Last couple home games for sure against Colorado College, and they will travel next weekend to Duluth before the start of the playoffs. Uh, Minnesota Wild back in action. I think a lot of games for them coming up this week as well. And a very exciting piece, um, Nick. I just got the text today. Thought it was going to be released on Wednesday morning. It's actually going to be on Tuesday morning now. Mike Schmidt. 15-year WCHA official and now spending a lot of time in the NCHC as an executive uh, officiating guru, if you will. He's going to join me actually tomorrow on Monday instead of our originally scheduled slot on Tuesday. He actually broke his hand playing hockey last week. Um, so we're going to have a good discussion on that. Um, I wasn't playing him. I played him the week before. Um and uh, we yelled curse words at each other. But nonetheless, um, <laughs> it should be a good one. It will just be myself. Uh, actually, do you work tomorrow? We'll talk about it. Maybe Nick will be with us. Maybe he won't. We'll figure it out. But anyway, that will do it for episode number 100 for Nick Max and I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you soon here in the den. One timer coming, they score. Ripped in. A bomb from Perrix. So Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores. Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.